Welcome to the Experts in Dubai show, your home for deeper news, behind the scenes and real life stories. Welcome to the Experts in Dubai show, Isam Bawahid with another episode in the great Ford Fightback series. So we are up to the prosecution investigation in my story against financial advisor Neil Grant. And now with his passport blocked, it is at this point that he reaches out to me with a settlement offer. So this is the subject in today's episode. First, what is a settlement? Well, the legal definition is that it is an official agreement intended to resolve a dispute or conflict. It basically ends an argument over an amount of money that someone receives as part of such an agreement. Settlements can happen anytime before a lawsuit is filed and before the case goes into litigation. And they can also happen once there is already a lawsuit on file. In fact, a lot of settlements happen when the trial is pending and the judge is deliberating. It doesn't necessarily mean it needs to happen before a lawsuit. During our conversation with Stuart McCulloch from the Fry Group in episode two, he offered some good advice if you have a complaint against your financial advisor and the steps to take before taking any legal recourse. Lawyers really shouldn't be the first step. However, if those conversations with your advisor or the advisory firm or even with the regulators are not progressing, then the next step is engaging legal assistance to first analyse your situation and determine if you have any standing within the law. You may have a moral claim against your advisor, but this is not actionable in court and you will not therefore have a legal claim. Lawyers can help you understand your situation and perhaps find something that has been done against you that is outside the law. They will also explain the steps that you can take before going to a full-on trial in a court of law before a judge. You can, of course, send a legal notice in the first instance. If you're not familiar with the legal industry, this is a common practice and it usually costs around five to six thousand dirhams. By definition, it is a way of notifying individuals or organizations about a legal matter and it's the first step in commencing a lawsuit against them. Then there is the invitation to settle the case, either you initiate it or the other party to avoid a trial altogether. That's our topic today. We're going to be talking about settlements, why conversations between myself and Neil Grant didn't result in a settlement and what is better for any given financial advisory case. And my guest today, and I waited for her to come back from her summer vacation because she is one of Dubai's best settlers, whose name is routinely passed around experts as the go-to person in this speciality of law. Eleanor Stralgen, managing partner of Mayer, Ruman and Partners, they practice local law, Dubai law. They are licensed with the Rulers Court in Dubai and have offices in Park Place Tower on Sheikhside Road. They set up 30 years ago, very niche firm, not interested in being branded the biggest, the boldest, etc., just concentrating on delivering the best legal services and advice to their client portfolio, clients that have been with them since they first landed in the sandpit. Investment law is one of their core areas of law. So let's get into it and let me welcome Eleanor to the show. Thank you, Amber. Very nice to be here. Eleanor, you came and set up in Dubai in 1989. What was the skyline of Dubai at that time? Well, the skyline was very different at the time. Um, the main building, main high-rise building at the time was the Dubai World Trade Center, where we also set up our office. And um, when looking down Sheikh Zayed Road, there was hardly any other building at that time. Uh, going down to Abu Dhabi would mean that you have one lane going down, one lane going up. And uh, yeah, you had to look out for camels also. You know, there was no fences around and uh, that was one of the main things to watch out for and avoid difficult accidents. 
Mayer was one of the first law firms to enter the Dubai legal market, a market that was very small at the time. What potential did you see? Well, I joined Mr. Rolf Mayer-Rollmann, the founder of the firm, Uh, in 1990, he had set up in 1989 after working some time in Saudi Arabia. And uh, the potential that he saw was um, that there were a lot of English-speaking lawyers, native English-speaking lawyers, but uh, no German lawyer at the time. There were a lot of German companies that had already set up at that time, having representative offices, branch offices or commercial agencies uh, with uh, UAE local distributors. And they needed advice in their own language uh, to um, avoid any legal misunderstandings in their contracts and um, their dealings with uh, local partners. The biggest German company I know is Mercedes. Yes, they are here. They were already here at that time. And um, I know stories from Sheikh Rashid driving his Mercedes up and down the sand dunes. So it goes way back, the history of uh, Mercedes and the UAE. And you steadily grew your client portfolio. Yes, definitely. In the beginning, um, as I mentioned, um, companies used to have representative offices, branch offices. Uh, there was the one or the other limited liability company. But as the UAE also offered um, more business setups opportunities, introducing the free zones, it was possible for companies to have 100% owned ownership Now, recently, um, there's been change in the company law as well. But at that time, it was important to be able to uh, set up in the free zone to have a 100% owned company. And um, yes, the community grew and also other legal topics were became important, um, even for families, um, you know, being able to settle their family matters if need be. And Eleanor, one of your specialities is settling, settling a case. You are a huge advocate to settle cases and not go to trial. Yes, definitely. The advantage of uh, having a settlement is just that um, you continue to be in the dialogue with the other party. You know, you find a compromise, uh, you still find an agreement um, and settle and still are able to continue either the business relation or even, you know, if it's a family matter, you be able to live your life in the family. The other reason um, for having a settlement agreement is um, that uh, once you go to trial, once you decide uh, to take a matter to court, there's a lot of fees uh, involved. There's a lot of costs involved. There's court fees involved. There are attorney fees involved. And that's the time issue. It um, just um, takes a while from one hearing to the other until a final decision is made. And um, Sometimes you do not really know what expenses are also maybe more involved if you have documents that uh, the judge will ask you um, that you haven't thought about it, uh, you need to legalize it, notarize it, translate it. And even sometimes, you know, experts are being appointed. So that's an additional costs and expenses that uh, can be avoided if you go for a set amicable settlement. And not to mention the mental stress um, for the duration of a trial. Exactly, because um, you never really know um, how long it's going to take, how many hearings it's going to take, um, when eventually you will have a judgment. And then again, you know, you're waiting also to have it enforced. You know, you have to wait until um, there is no appeal period anymore, until it's final and enforceable and then take it for enforcement. So again, this takes a long time, can take a long time. So when people approach you to look at their legal work, One of the things that you do bring up straight away is, have you thought of settling? 
It will be definitely part of the discussion. Of course, it's a matter of um, how we evaluate and assess the case. So how strong the documentation is, um, how well the papers are being prepared. And um, we always try to find a way and uh, see if there is a possibility for settlement. Yes, definitely. And people overlook this, but it is a very specific set of legal skills negotiating a settlement. Yes, definitely. As a lawyer, you need to be, for one, uh, qualified and have the necessary skills to evaluate uh, that a case indeed can be settled. Uh, you have to deal with the client, uh, prepare them for the settlement negotiations, see that it goes in the right direction and prepare the case um, in a way that um, it is possible to settle it. I make this point because... There are some really bad negotiators, shockingly bad, and some firms appoint an associate who basically flirts between the two parties but doesn't exercise any negotiation skills. Basically, they will say to you, this is our offer, and they just take the counter offer from you and present it to the other client, and that's it. That's, that's not negotiating. It's not negotiating because um, finding a settlement and negotiating is kind of work in process. You, of course, you have to consider what the other party says. You have to get the feeling where the development goes, uh, take it in consideration, guide your client in the right direction and also make them aware and also open, you know, to consider other things that they haven't thought about and make them also available and um, able that they see the other side and uh, um, accept what the other side offers. So, yes. There's also the matter, Eleanor, that you will have the experience of the tactics that a lot of companies like the big financial service providers play and who may not negotiate in good faith and, and purposely waste a lot of time and money in the process of talk, simply employing delaying tactics. Yes, the matter with the delay tactics is, is especially difficult. Um, also, the factor of um, intimidating or trying to intimidate the other party than just trying to come across strong and saying, well, your case is weak and uh, um, your documentation is not correct. Uh, just trying to put the other person or the other side in the position where they feel themselves weak and they say, well, we don't have the funds, we don't have the means, we don't have the documentation or the um, a way to fight fight against the big companies. It's just a lot of um, t intimidation and delay tactics. But you're aware of it. It would be intimidating for an individual, but for a lawyer, they are used to these tactics. Of course, the lawyer wants it's involved, but sometimes it's uh, for a person or an individual even to decide to come to a lawyer and ask for help and uh, not just, um, you know, be intimidated and say, well, what Sometimes happens is uh, that it's suggested, no, leave the lawyers out of the pictures. They're just uh, creating more difficulties, more problems. Um, it's just will get you more costs involved. Um, but um, a lawyer can help you in resolve this and avoid this and uh, notice once um, a case on the other side is also weak. And it's just instead of, um, you know, just trying to scare somebody off from the case and uh, getting you off the on the wrong track. Exactly. How many of your cases, Eleanor, do you manage to settle amicably? I would say it's around 60 to 70 percent. That's a really good percentage. And what percentage of that was in financial services? I'd say five to 10 percent. Why is that? Why is it so 
low? Is it because they know they don't need to settle, that their contracts are airtight? I think this is for one. And also the other thing is that um, they think um, the individuals will not go all the way to to a court uh, court proceedings, but uh, it's just it works for them that individuals are just um, scaring away from, um, I would say, following the matter in court and um, going through with it. And the contracts are pretty difficult to deal with. And uh, in a way, it's difficult to go up against it. And that's, I think, what individuals feel that um, sometimes they've um, signed contracts because they had no other choice, that they had to accept these kind of contracts and um, that are so closely knit. And um, yeah, it's difficult to find a way around them. There are exceptions where you may say, let's just bypass the settlement talks because you know there won't be a resolution. You can read that situation. Yes, of course. I will identify if there is a possibility to settle and not. It uh, depends also on the documentation of uh, the other party. And um, But um, if we consider a case to be strong and if there is kind of bad faith on the other side, and um, then definitely there is a way also to go up against a strong contract if we can prove and have the documentation and evidence enough that... Um, court case um, will be successful. Can you explain to us the difference in the terms settlement and mediation? Well, when you're settling and negotiating a settlement, um, it's the two parties uh, represented with the lawyers that uh, will be in a dialogue and a discussion to find a compromise or an agreement and then come up with a solution that's in the, in the interest of a bo- in both parties. If you are in mediation, you, again, not like a judge, but you involve an independent um, third party that will mediate and negotiate, help to negotiate a deal between the parties. So you will have an unbiased third party in between. So mediation is an extra cost. You're paying a referee to referee a negotiation. Yes, that's correct. And who picks up that bill? You can have that split. Because you have need the agreement of both parties to involve a mediator. So there's different varies. Before you go to court, you can go to arbitration, you can go to mediation. And um, you would need to agree, the parties need to agree on one person that uh, they would both uh, be willing to um, involve in in settling. Uh, You just mentioned arbitration. Just to clarify to the listeners who may not be familiar with that word. It's a dispute resolution as well, and uh, it's in place of the normal jurisdiction and the normal courts in a country. You have uh, arbitrators that, similar to a mediator, uh, can decide between the parties um, in, uh, in a dispute, but that can be put in uh, as part of the contract. You usually wouldn't necessarily put a mediation in, in a contract Uh, In the contract, you would find um, either um, arbitration or the normal courts as a choice of um, settlement of disputes. You can do mediation even to try to avoid arbitration or going to the normal courts. Okay, so let's bring it back to settlement because I want to focus on settling a financial matter before having to incur any financial costs. So first, I want to share my experience. My case against Neil Grant, he did offer to settle. 
I think he was hugely under pressure from his new company to do so. And I had managed to get the file to prosecution at this stage. His terms were, and he was offering more money than my initial investment, that I just sign an NDA. My terms were that he was to leave the industry and give everyone their portfolio back, which he was not prepared to do. I mean, he's making 100000 a month in commission and fees. He's not going to give that up. So we didn't settle. His boss was the self-appointed mediator between the two of us who wanted to meet with me personally to go through their offer. Now, I knew he was going to sell me a story, use Neil Grant's kids, their heartache, etc., all things he had touched upon during our correspondence up until that point. So I knew I would be in trouble if I did meet him and I would probably give in. So I rejected all meeting requests. And in the end, the settlement didn't progress. But I wasn't upset because I really wanted at this point for the case to go to court because I wanted a judgment. From a lawyer's point of view, what's your take on all of that? My take on this is he definitely should have had a lawyer, a lawyer that would have advised him on how to properly negotiate, uh, in what form, you know, to make the offer and uh, who is a person that is uh, skilled and has the definite skill sets to negotiate and uh, prepare a settlement offer properly because neither himself nor his boss um, are the legal persons that can evaluate and assess the case and prepare the documentation and an offer and a settlement according to what is required to actually reach a settlement. Also, Eleanor, you had a stubborn woman who wasn't prepared at that point. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Who wasn't prepared at that point to settle. So a lawyer would have used their skills to persuade me, right? Yes, definitely. I do want to say at this point that with Neil Grant's victims, when it came to a point that a group was in the process of being put together, the companies were smart. They would take one victim aside and give them the very clear impression that they were almost reaching an amicable agreement about their situation. Of course, they used it as a tactic to break up the potential group because that one individual will say to the rest of the group, OK, I'm in talks with them and it looks like we're going to settle the case. It never happened. And time passed and the whole group just dissolved because everyone just pursued their own thing. Yes, indeed. That's a very common tactic and doesn't surprise me at all. This is uh, what's uh, usually happening to try to avoid uh, matters to progress. But in the event you don't settle, it's not a complete waste of time because you will have learned as a lawyer, you will have learned a lot about the other party, got information, read the other lawyer and pretty much know what their defense is. And you can use that information at trial. Yes, definitely. Financial advisory contracts. There's a lot of paperwork that you are asked to sign when you sign up with an advisor and a firm. And I do explain in episode 10 how Neil Grant's victims were manipulated into signing these forms, like the power of attorney certificate and the prescribed direction forms, which essentially protected the rogue and his partners. Now, with real estate contracts, we are advised to have a lawyer review it. Eleanor, are we heading that way with the advisory industry if we're going to invest six seven figure sums should we just spend a couple more thousand and have a lawyer look over things just for peace of mind yes definitely because this is um, where i'm coming from that in eventually you want to avoid and prevent the legal dispute to arise so Investing in a lawyer to go across the documentation that you not necessarily um, are involved with on a daily 
day-to-day basis uh, that is new to you, um, that involves a lot of uh, legal terms, legalese um, that you usually do not uh, read on a regular basis. So the lawyers are specialists in reading those terms and conditions. They can pick up uh, what's really difficult, what's uh, to the disadvantage of the client. And uh, I would definitely advise having any kind of contract, whether that's a financial contract or real estate contract, um, that has also financial implications on the parties. Um, yes, to get the advice of a lawyer and have it reviewed. Because essentially, they can see the red flags very clearly. And also, they can advise what clauses should be inserted in that contract to protect you further. Yes, especially a lot of um, the firms, a lot of contracts that they are being presented in front of parties that that they cannot be changed and they shouldn't be changed and that it's a standard form contract. And especially if it's a standard form contract, there is... um, it's definitely important to see what uh, is at a disadvantage, where the party is at a disadvantage, where the red flags are, as you mentioned, and um, the lawyers are trained to pick those out. But there's a twist, Eleanor. Lawyers themselves have also got screwed by advisors. Yes, that's definitely the case. Um, They're mean, human. We, we, are all, we are also humans. Uh, you know, we are mothers and fathers. And, uh, you know, we also need to trust persons. So if it's a contract, and in Germany, we have a saying, you know, um, most of the lawyers are like uh, shoemakers, you know, in their own areas, in their own topics, um, you know, they necessarily also you know are maybe too trusting and also rely on that the other party is the expert you know if somebody sits in front of you and is a financial advisor and he's doing that on a regular basis or uh, selling real estate on a regular basis you as a lawyer also are thinking you are the professional he's a professional so yeah I can trust him so I would not uh, we are also not privy that it cannot happen to us. Now a lot of people shy away from lawyers to the vast majority There's something about the word lawyer that shrivels the organs and fills the soul with foreboding. Everyone fears lawyers and having the full force of the law thrown at them. If you're not used to the legal world, receiving a legal notice, etc. can be intimidating. Fear, Eleanor, is your greatest asset. That's what gives you power. Clients back down. Would you agree with that? You are a formidable bunch, aren't you? Yes, we definitely are. And sometimes... (laughs) (laughs) definitely appears that way (laughs) you know I mean I'm myself um, if a client comes to me and says well I have this problem the client is not paying of course I will suggest also well let's send them maybe a letter and I send them a letter and if they receive a letter from a lawyer they just um, might just uh, say okay then um, I uh, will pay that invoice that's been due for a couple of months. And um, yes, I get that uh, a lot uh, when I meet clients and I introduce myself as a lawyer and say, oh, yeah, I take your card. Uh, it's good to know one, but better not to need one. But um, <laughs> Your job is basically to take the subject off the table. So that's why you send these um, legal notices. You want the matter closed. Yes, um, because it's sometimes it's a matter that can be really closed and uh, should be closed uh, because the clear case is so clear cut. I mean, if an invoice is outstanding and just, uh, you know, there's no reason for why it should not be paid. So um, we just um, send the letter with the purpose of the other party being convinced to avoid uh, any further steps that uh, they pay the invoice. And um get a result that is um, in our client's favor. So that's what my objective is. And that's what I 
would try to achieve. Okay. Okay, Eleanor, that brings up another point. This huge, a huge deterrent for people to engage with lawyers is fees. This stigma to fees and paying for the artwork hanging in the office. Where does that come from? I really don't know because um, we do a job like everybody else. Um, we have education that we needed to pay for. We have an office. We have staff. Uh, we just have a day-to-day expenses. So... Uh, even being a lawyer is a business like any other. So um, as uh, you would go to a doctor and ask a doctor for help, you know, you pay his fees. Um, it's the same for us as lawyers as well. And um, especially here in this country, you need to be licensed. You need to be a member of the Bar Association. You need to have the proper registration with a regulator. You need to have an insurance because um, you have a responsibility and liability towards your client also maybe giving them wrong advice. So um, it's a lot of obligation and liability that um, is covered from the fees as well. From a lawyer's point of view, wouldn't you earn more money from your client if the case does go to trial? In principle, yes, but uh, there is nothing more frustrating than a case that drags on both for the lawyer and for the client. And um, from my perspective, it's always better to try to settle, keep it short, keep it simple, keep the fees low and um, only go to trial if there is no other option. If, or if the evidence is really, really strong. strong. There is a perception that the higher the hourly rate, the better the lawyer in terms of winnability rate. Is that true? No, I do not agree with this. Um, what's important for me is the experience of the lawyer. That's how you should uh, choose your lawyer, not according to the hourly rate that you have to pay for. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us today. All very interesting and positive and lots for investors to think about. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Well, thank you very much, Amber. It was a pleasure to be here. Um, if anybody wants to get in contact with us, we have a website um, under the name of Maya Reumann and Partners, and it's a typical German name. Um, but uh, the easiest may is under my name, Elena Schildgen. I have a LinkedIn profile, and you will find all the details there. Great. Thank you so much, Elena. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Great Fraud Fightback. If you have any questions about today's episode or on financial advisory fraud, you can connect with me personally at businesssculpting.com forward slash contact us. We'll be taking a vacation next month. We will be back in October when we continue focusing on the expat journey in Dubai. Take care.